It's a great day to gather together. We have been in the midst of a week of seeing Jesus, thinking about the Passion Week, the final week in Jesus' life, and today we arrive at that kind of high watermark, the space of, of great celebration as we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you have a Bible, would you grab hold of that, open up this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning. That's where we're inviting you to. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you, in the, in the chairs in front of you. If you're in the front seat and you need one, just turn around and grab one from someone behind you. Um, page number is wrong, but it is 1,770 if you're using one of our Bibles. Or you can use it an app on your phone or device, whatever that is. But one way or another, we are inviting you uh, to have a Bible this morning, to follow along, uh, to see what God has for us. And as we're longing that that would be for you here this morning, we also speak if you're in an overflow or online, and it is the same invitation. But we want you to be in the Word of God. We really want to tell you that this is what we need this morning, and so we are longing that God would speak to us through that. So have a Bible, open it up so you can follow but that God would speak to us through his word, that there would be power in that, there would be enabling in that, and grace in that as we're seeking him for that this morning. Well, with that as our aim, we're going to take a moment and pray for that. And so I just want to invite you to join me right now in prayer. And as we do that, I want to just sit quickly say this. If you're reading through the, the scriptures with us, and some of you were as we read through those accounts today, you might remember that it's today, on this evening, that Jesus gathers with his disciples, and it tells us that he opened up their understanding, that they might comprehend the truth. Let's ask him to do it again. Let's ask him to do it right here and now. Father, we come right now. We come into this moment. We come into this space. We're studying your word. Lord, I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful that your word is true and real and alive. But Lord, I ask that you would meet us and help, that Jesus, what you did for the disciples on this day, on that morning following you rising from the dead, you met with them and it says that you opened up their understanding, that they might comprehend the scriptures. God, do it again. Do it here. Lord, you know us, you know where we are, and we're in different spaces this morning, and yet you are so faithful. And you are so capable to take your truth and cause it to connect right where we are, right where we're needing. Lord, open up our understanding where we do get it, and it works. It works into us what you have for us. Would you give us ears to hear what that is? Holy Spirit, just opening it to us this morning. We submit to that. We look to you for that. Ask for help in it right here and now. And we do that together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What difference would it really make if today was just a story? What if there was actually no resurrection? What if today was just one of those nice, you know, moral stories that could be grouped among other stories? I mean, you know, right? Some people actually will believe that today. They'll say things, you know, yeah, there's like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the resurrection, you know. All of them just have these nice uh, moral, you know, kind of applications, but they're not really genuine. What if that were true? How, how much difference would that make if it wasn't real but just a story? That's what I want you to explore with me this morning. That's what's going to be found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But before we go there, just a quick thought. 
there's a recent survey done among Americans, and interestingly enough, two-thirds of Americans say they believe it. They believe that it really happened, that Jesus really did rise from the grave. Two-thirds of Americans, you know, look upon that and say, hey, that's absolutely real. Now, I don't know where you find yourself looking at that stat. I mean, it's kind of an amazing one. 20% say they disagree. 14% say they're just not really sure, uh, thinking it through. But boy, like two-thirds say, yeah, we absolutely believe in that. Uh, those who are doing the survey, it was kind of a, a lifeway survey that went out this last year. They put it this way, said the truthfulness of the resurrection is not as controversial today as many Christians may assume. The bigger issue, however, may be in helping Americans to recognize the relevance of Jesus rising from the dead. Hey, connect that with me just for a moment. Two-thirds of Americans say they believe Jesus rose from the grave. Man, I just want to tell you something's wrong. I think if two-thirds of Americans really, really believe that, that should change things. Somehow there's a disconnect between that reality and that which it should mean into our lives. That's what we want to explore this morning. Like, what should that mean? Like, where should that go? Before I leave that stat, one other quick part of it. It is interesting in that same survey that a majority of those 18 to 34 years old, 59%, said they don't. So much like we've talked about in some recent days on our Sunday mornings, boy, our world, our country is in a difficult space right now. Our younger generation is not getting it, is not buying into it, so that almost 60% of those in that category say they don't believe in it, uh, which was only 20% of, of the rest of, uh, of our population. So certainly a place of just crying out, uh, for our nation, crying out for people, even revival in these days. May God work that. That is certainly what we need. Well, with that, we want to pursue it. So the resurrection, that's what we're going to talk about. And so I have a picture here of the garden tomb in, uh, there in Jerusalem, a space I was just at, as well as our Israel tour just a couple weeks ago. And just FYI, we did look. It's still empty. I um, just thought that would just kind of toss it out. But hey, uh, no, but just great news for us to think through, but to think through but what if it's just a story? What if, it, what, what if it is? What if there is no resurrection? What if there is none of that? Well, that's exactly what's found here in 1 Corinthians. So you got your Bibles there in chapter 15. Let's go to the middle of the chapter first, and then we'll come back to the beginning in a moment. Go there to verse 12. Verse 12 and 13, it says it this way. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Yeah, wow. Okay, let's just be clear so it's not confusing. When Paul wrote this to the church there in the city of Corinth, they weren't actually doubting that Jesus rose from the grave. They had just begun doubting that we would rise from the grave they'd begun to think, well, you know, what if there is actually no, like we're not actually going to rise. What if there's just, you know, all spiritual and it's not really real? And so God speaks through Paul to them and says, you, you need to understand these two things are absolutely connected. If we don't rise, Jesus didn't rise. If we don't rise, then Jesus didn't rise. If he rose, we rise. These things are not, you know, they are absolutely life and whole together. Now, to make that just, uh, just applicable, he drives home the reality of, okay, if we don't rise and if Jesus doesn't rise, what would that mean? Like, what would change 
if this was just a story? What would change if this is just, you know, kind of a nicety that but, but wasn't really happening? Well, that's what he unpacks for us. And notice with me as we begin in verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. If Jesus didn't rise, he says, here's the thing, Christianity is absolutely pointless. That's the idea of empty. Empty has the idea of vain, without any significance, without any meaning, just utterly pointless in that way. Hey, catch it as clear as it can be said. Take away the resurrection, and Christianity doesn't exist. Take away the resurrection, there is a zero zero reason for you to be out of your bed this morning and sitting in this church. There's, it's a, it would be a waste of your time. It is a waste of your life without the resurrection. Arnold Toynbee, the British historian, said it this way, if the body of Jesus of Nazareth can be produced, then Christianity will crumble into a lifeless religion. He is absolutely right. Take away the resurrection. Make it invalid. Then what we would find is it has nothing Christianity lives or dies on this. This is everything for us. There's nothing outside of it. So that if there is no Christian, if there's no resurrection, then Christianity is a waste of time. Coming to church is a waste of your time because it has no value. It is vain. It's meaningless. Add to that, he says it there in verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead don't rise. So again, he's kind of speaking tongue-in-cheek. If the dead don't rise, then everybody who's ever stood before a people like I'm standing before you right now, every preacher, every speaker is a liar. The gospel is a lie. The message is a lie. All preachers are proclaiming something that is absolutely untrue, that it would make this, in a sense, not just a, well, you know, it's still a good thing. No, it's, it's, it's a lie without this. It, it, it's a lie without the resurrection. It's a lie that would only be that which would deceive and be empty. Verse 15. Sorry, verse 16. For the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Take away the resurrection. Not only is it pointless and the gospel a lie, but sins are not forgiven. That right now, if you're here this morning and paying any attention and maybe you've hoped that, you know, that there's a way that Jesus would take care of this, that makes the gospel, that makes what we proclaim, it's, it's nothing more than a placebo. It does nothing. And right now, sin's eternal consequences are yours. I can't stress that hard enough. I can't stress that hard enough. We think about what today is, and we think about what it is, and and the hope that we think through talking about it, for those who are Thursday, that Jesus died for our sins and paid for it. If there's no resurrection, it didn't work. If there's no resurrection, then you are on the bill to pay the price for all your sins, all of them. Jesus said every word spoken, it it, it has an accountability there, and everything you've ever said or done is that which you will pay for and you will be judged for forever. I mean, that's massive. Take away the resurrection and your sins are on you. 
Your sins are right now on you. There's no hope. There's no space of that. And in that, he adds to it, verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Jesus doesn't rise, death wins. If Jesus didn't rise, death wins. And, and, and it wins in our lives, but it wins in the lives of the others. We ought to quickly make just a couple things plain in that verse. Some of you already know it, but it's worth your just understanding it. He says there in verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ. That's an interesting phrase, fallen asleep in Christ. What is it he's speaking about? Well, let me tell you what he's not speaking about. He's not speaking about what some have termed from this, like soul sleep or something, as if when you die, you enter into some kind of slumber. That's not the reality. The Bible's really clear about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, the moment you cease living here, you're in God's presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with him. So death is, you know, we, we are immediately in his presence. I mean, that's our hope. So it's an interesting thing what the scripture does. When it talks about believers who die, it uses a different term. It says we've fallen asleep in Jesus. Why does it say it that way? Well, honestly, because the word death sounds so final. It just sounds so, hey, forever, like it's forever done. But if you're a follower of Jesus, that's not true. If you're a follower of Jesus, death didn't win. It's just a temporary moment. It's just a temporary lapse until we, you know, we get to be with Jesus, and then we get to come back with him, get our new bodies, and, and, and just be a part of all of these things. So when Scripture does it, it's as if you'd almost think, hey, they're just, they're just asleep. And I know it's a silly illustration, but it just works for me. Let's just kind of think about it that way. Let's just say that I came over to your house uh, this afternoon and knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, and, and someone in your family came to the door, and I'm like, hey, I want to come talk to them. And they would say, uh, they're asleep right now. Uh, they're taking a nap. What would that mean? It would kind of be this idea of, well, bummer. Like, I came all the way over. I guess I should have called first or something. You know, I don't know. You know, I guess, but in my mind, I know what I'm thinking. It's like, well, I guess, you know, I'll see them later. You know, I, I was hoping to talk to them right now, but... I'm just going to see them in a little while, uh, you know, in that moment, it's a small disappointment, but it's not a big disappointment. That's how death is supposed to be for a believer, so that if we know someone who knows Jesus, it's a small disappointment, but it's not a big disappointment. Uh, it, it's a temporary waiting, but we're going to see him again, unless the dead don't rise, because if the dead don't rise, you will never see him again. If the dead don't rise, if, that, if the resurrection that is Christ being celebrated today didn't happen, he says, then we'll never see them again. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in, in, in Jesus, they're gone. They're gone. They've perished. They're, 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 they're out of the picture. It's because of that, he says in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If there's no resurrection, you should look upon anybody who calls himself a Christian and say, I'm sorry. I really feel bad for you. Like you are, your life is wasted. Yeah, I, I should look upon you and feel pity for you because you've invested your life into that which is not. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. 
there's a pretty strong statement where he'd say, hey, there's no point to this, and, and you ought to be there. Now, I just got to be honest with you. I read this, and I know it's true. I know it's true because it's scripture, but in my mind, there's a little bit of pushback because I'm a little bit like, well, you know, I mean, I got to be honest. I, I, I've seen people live a Christian life, and I've people, seen people live a non-Christian life, and I'll take the Christian life any day. Uh, I'll take a Christian life any day, you know, because I don't know how anybody faces our world. I don't know how people face, uh, you know, conflict and, and fears and, and, and politics and all those things without having this hope it's in Christ. And I just want to tell you it's true. I want to tell you that the Christian life is a good life, but if it's built on a lie, it's a lie. If there's no eternal hope, any hope we have would be, you know, you might as well hope that you're going to be a marshmallow someday. I don't know. I mean, it's like, hey, there's, there, where, where, where's your life? I mean, where's the hope in that? There's no there's no, there's no solid strength to that. So it simply says, hey, take away the resurrection. There's no point for the church. There's no point for Christianity. And anybody who invests into it, you ought to feel sorry for. Wow. Hey, that, that, those are pretty strong words. Those are pretty strong words that remind us how bad this is. So much so, it tells us if that's true, you can fast forward over to verse 32, where Paul continues it a little bit. He says it this way. He says, if in the, in the manner of men, if it's just, you know, living for life here, I have fought with the beasts of Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If, it, if, if there's no tomorrow, if there's no eternity, then we need to live for that. You know, you need to just to live everything you can into this moment because there's nothing else beyond it. That would be what he's saying. Take away the resurrection, and there is nothing for us here. Wow. Can you feel how big this is? Can you feel how huge of a deal this is? And yet right there, we get to come and say the most glorious thing. Keep going. Go back to our section there where it tells us, we'll just read in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now, he says in verse 20, Christ is is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Wow. Good news, guys. But now Christ is risen. Christ is risen. That's what today we're celebrating. Christ is risen. Christ is alive. Jesus rose from the grave, that the grave there in Jerusalem, it is found empty. He, he is not there, and this is so vital you understand it. For that, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. So he began the chapter underscoring some of the background behind this, some of the weight that gives it to us in the solidness of it. And so notice with me there in verse 1. It says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Tongue in cheek, if there's no resurrection, you believed in vain. But he says, here's the thing, I'm preaching this to you, and it's the gospel. It's the good news is what gospel is. The gospel is Christ, Christ dying, Christ's resurrection, which he's going to unpack in the next couple of verses. But understand this, this is the nature of the good news. This is the nature of the power of the gospel that changes life. This is our message. It's the message of it, which is the gospel, which he says in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, 
that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Yeah, Christ is risen. It's the very heartbeat of the gospel. Christ is risen, and it's flowing out of the scriptures. He says it there again, right? He says, Christ died according to the scriptures. Christ died, and he was raised according to the scriptures. This is exactly what the Bible's unpacking for us, that it lets us know that he is one who died for our sins, that he was buried, which, by the way, underscores the reality that he really did die, and he rose. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we have. It's that which we're needing to have, and it's that which the Bible lays out for us. I think about it. You know, on this day, the women approach the tomb, and they go into there, and they hear the angel there, and he just simply says, he is not here, for he is risen. Guys, those are good words. Those are good news. It's what took place on this day, 1,991 years ago, that on this day, this incredible hope being heard, hey, he's, he's not here, he's alive. He's alive. In fact, that evening, it goes on in Luke's gospel and gives it to us this way. It says, so they rose up that hour and they returned to Jerusalem and found the 11, that is the 11 disciples, and those who were with them where they were gathered together. Now Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. And you just got to feel it for a moment. I mean, here are the disciples, they're gathering together, and honestly, they're struggling. They, they, this is not something they've anticipated, though they should have. They're, they're in the midst, of, and then Jesus just shows up in the room, and he just speaks peace. He just says, hey, peace to you, guys, just peace upon you. And he just tells them. He says, but they were terrified and frightened, and they supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he speaks to them and says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Wow. Hey, this is a good word, and, and we just want to pause on a quick moment to say this. You know, I think through the stats uh, a moment ago, just telling you that two-thirds of Americans actually believe this. They believe that Jesus rose from the grave. That's an interesting stat. It's probably much more here in this room. Most, if not all of you, believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I, I just believe that, and so again, I'm just telling you, hey, that's good news for us, but if you're here this morning and you're struggling, I just want to tell you, hey, we care in fact, one of the things I love about the unpacking of this day is that in that very room, some of the disciples were doubting, which is kind of a crazy thing. I mean, some of you are like, man, if I, if I could see him, I wouldn't doubt. They did. <laughs> like, I mean, he's like right there, and he says, and he says like, why are you troubled, and, and why? I, 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 I see what's happening inside your heart. Well, why, why are you letting that happen? Why are you letting doubts arise in your heart? And I love that he calls it out. I love that he calls it out because there's a gentleness to it and an honesty to it and an invitation to it. And if that's you this morning and you're sitting here going, you know, I, 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 can't, I, I don't know if I believe it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to get there. Then hear that Jesus is speaking to you and saying, hey, come and believe it. Like I see what's there and I'm inviting you to recognize I, that he really is alive. He goes on to simply say, hey, behold, my hands and my feet. It is I myself handle me. See, for a spirit does not have flesh and blood as you see I have. I mean, this is an amazing moment. He's like, guys, I'm real. I'm like right here. Look at my hands. Like, hey, touch me. And he invites them. He invites him to feel. He invites him to see that, that he is genuinely alive. That's good news. 
that's good news. That's the, that's the reality that's laid out for us. That's what the Bible declares to us. So one of the very important realities, again, just to talk about today as we think about the resurrection, is that you understand, hey, this didn't come about in church history. This wasn't something that over history that Christians kind of, you know, began to feel or determine in their own kind of way. There are some weird things sometimes that happen that way in church history. This isn't one of them. This is the Bible. The whole Bible points to this reality. The whole Bible points to this reality and very clearly tells us that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, to add to that, it shows us that not only is it scriptural, it's credible. Keep reading there. Verse 5, he gives it to us this way. He says, And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. Wow. So one of the things he does here is he just makes sure that we understand uh, the credibility of this, that not only is it the gospel, not only is it what the Bible's saying, but there were 500 witnesses at one time. And when Paul writes this, most of those 500 witnesses were still alive. Now, that's a pretty amazing validation. And he's like, hey, you, there's a bunch of people you can talk to. And go to, talk to any one of them. Go, go and feel that. Go and, go, and, go and see that. You know, not to, you know, speak it in some kind of flippant way, but it's been said well, and I'll just kind of say it this way. Hey, if you're a lawyer and you can't win a case with 500 eyewitnesses, you're a bad lawyer. Like, I, I just, I just say, like, you got, it's like, you, you, okay, we're just going to pull, you, what, 500 of them. He, yep, I talk, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Had, had these not been there, Christianity would have stopped in its tracks. Christianity would have stopped in its tracks. But it didn't, because he's alive. The body couldn't be found, the body wasn't there. And I want to just tell you, there's such incredible weight there. Now, once more, I realize that I'm probably not talking to many of you in this. Uh, and so I don't want to spend my time, you know, in a space where most of you aren't. But I, again, want to tell you, if that's you, if you're here this morning and you're trying to wrap your brain around this and you're like, well, but, but what, if he, what if he died? What if the disciples stole the body, like the Pharisees would say? Or what if he swooned? And I just want to say very, very quickly and very, very simply, there's no logic behind that. Um, for a lot of reasons. For start, there is no body. For secondly, these disciples are going to die. Every one of them is going to die a martyr's death. They're not getting money or power or position out of this. They're going to die believing in this. And if they were a part of a lie, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. There's no practical reality. And, and the reasons behind that are that and so many more. So again, I just want to tell you, this is so solid. And, and again, if you're doubting that, there's other spaces. In fact, I'll give you a few. Um, there's a few books I'll just kind of just lay out before you. Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for the Resurrection. Uh, Josh McDowell wrote one called The Evidence for the Resurrection. Frank Morris did one, Who Moved the Stone? And, and for a couple of these guys, it was this. I mean, they were unbelievers, and they came to understand what I'm telling you this morning. Take away the resurrection, and there's no Christianity. So if we can disprove it here, it's done. And they went in to disprove it, and they found they couldn't. And they found themselves moved and, and drawn to life and drawn to life in Christ. And if that's you this morning, if you're in that category, we just want to tell you, hey, the resurrection changes everything. And it is credible. 
It is solid. And if you need to pursue that, pursue that. We'll pursue that with you. We'd love to do it, but it's worth just noting it is. But Paul adds one more. Not only is it scriptural, not only is it the gospel, not only is it credible, but it was personal for him. Go back and see it. Verse 8, then last of all, he says, he was seen by me also is one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed." Paul says, hey, I, I, it was personal for me. God, I mean, I met Jesus, and, and in that, he, I, I, it's changed my life, he says. It's changed my life, and so I've been proclaiming it, and however you heard it, it's alive. And I love that reality. There's a personalness to this. I like the way Billy Graham said it. He simply said, I can tell you that Jesus is alive because I talked to him this morning. And I just want to tell you, there's a beauty to that, and I will say it this way. If you're a follower of Jesus, that may have been the reality. It's like, I know Jesus is alive because I know him. I mean, I spend time with him. I talk to him. I, I have a relationship with him, and that all by itself is, is good, but it's not the only thing. It's built off the gospel. It's scriptural. It's credible. It's personal, and we look at something this morning that is solid, that is the reality that we think back 1,991 years ago today. Jesus rose from the grave. It happened. It's real. It's not just a story. It's not just a fable. It's not just a... a, a it, it really did happen. Wow. And as you think about that with me, I just want to draw you back to it and say, since he did rise from the grave, that changes everything. That changes everything. In fact, we talked about it just a few moments ago. We looked at this list and we said, okay, here's a bunch of things that are true if Jesus didn't rise. If Jesus didn't rise, Christianity is pointless. The gospel is a lie. Sins are not forgiven. Death wins. And you should feel sorry for Christians. But if Jesus did rise, then every one of these can be turned on their head. Then every one of these are exactly opposite of what's actually true. So let's do that for a moment. Let's just quickly walk through these five things and turn them over and say, since Jesus did rise, since, since he did rise, what does that mean for us? How should that actually affect your life and mine today? I mean, how should it be that in one sense that the reality of today should flow into our lives? What should it do for us that we recognize it's so real? Well, first of all, Instead of Christianity being pointless, instead of that being the reality, we find out that Christianity is absolutely worth it. More than that, it's life. That probably doesn't say it's strong enough. Because again, the idea is no resurrection, it's a waste. It's vain. With the resurrection, it's anything but vain. It's the opposite. It's life itself. It is life itself. You know, you think about it, right? I mean, you guys know that most famous verse that most people know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but notice, have everlasting life. I mean, believing in Jesus, believing in what he is, it brings life, and it's the only space that life is found. 
In fact, I like the way Jesus would define that in John 10. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He says, everything else is falling into these categories of robbing you and stealing from you. I came to give you life, and it's really life. It is abundant life. It is real life. It is real life, and it's found in Christ. And that life is found nowhere else. In 1 John, in fact, we talked about this verse even last week. Some of you were here. It says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life, it's in His Son. So there is a space where life can be found. There is a space that life, I mean, real life is found, and it's in Jesus. That's God's testimony to us, so much so that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's nowhere else it's found. You can't have life, not eternal life, any other space. It's only found in Jesus. That makes Christianity like everything. I mean, that makes it where, where in a sense, hey, this is, worth your, this is worth your time. This is worth your investment. This is life itself. Because if you pursue anything else, it's empty. The book of Ecclesiastes unpacks it for us. Is if you pursue anything else, anything else to make it that your goal, you'll find nothing but emptiness. That, that not, nothing will satisfy. Everything will leave you empty. But it's found here. What the resurrection means for us is there's really life here. What the resurrection means for us is that we can find life in Him. I mean, that changes everything. The resurrection means for us not only is this life, but this gospel that we preach, it's not a lie. It is absolutely true, and it's solid. The gospel that we preach is absolutely true, so that the message we have, it's not just a a, a warm fuzzy. It's solidly true. It's solidly true. See, the gospel is what's changed our life. The gospel is what rescues us. I think about how it gives it to us in Ephesians when God speaks it through Paul there. It says, in him, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what's happened. Somehow you heard it. You heard the gospel. You heard the gospel of truth. You heard what it was, and you trusted that. You trusted in that, and, and, and through that believing in that, you found life. It is that truth, it was, was that that brought about our salvation. And that's what it does. That's what Jesus is. Jesus gave us that, right? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm it. I'm truth. Not just a truth, the truth. It's what truth is. It's where truth is found. That Jesus is that. That he is that one who brings that to us. And today is what gives that vibrancy and reality. In Hebrews, it would say it this way. That Jesus, he has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. That what he brings us is this place where it's powerful because of his eternal life. Because what he gives us isn't just words, it's reality. And today is that reality. Today's that space where we get to say there is something here that is so worth you hearing, that the gospel is true in a world that is so filled with lies and empty. What today means is is life. It's good news, guys. It is super good news. But let's continue. If If the resurrection wasn't true, we told you that your sins are not forgiven. Well, obviously, the inverse of that is if the resurrection is true. 
then sins are forgiven in Christ. That if you're in Christ, if you've believed upon Jesus, your sins, not in part, but the whole, were nailed to the cross and you bear them no more. Hey, we talked about that Thursday night for some of you here. Jesus said it's finished. And, and the reality of that is because he rose, it is finished. Because he died and defeated that, that now our sins are, are absolutely washed away. Colossians would give it to us this way. He, speaking of Christ, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He's taken us out of darkness. He's brought us into light. That forgiveness is that space that now is that to us, has brought us into that space. That's what this is. That's what this is. In fact, when they were preaching the gospel in Acts 13, they said it this way. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Through Christ, there is a place where your sins can be forgiven. And by him, they say, everyone who believes is justified from all things, which you could not be justified in the law of Moses or anything else. I mean, there was no other way for this to happen. But in him, there is. In him, there's a way that your failures, your sins, all of them are paid for. Only in Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is not yours. Please not hear that clearly. But if you're in Christ, this is yours. And if you don't know him, we're inviting you to it because of what today is. Today is Jesus conquering the grave, conquering what sin does, conquering all that that is. And it's offering to us this incredible place of knowing forgiveness. Which means, while well, we look at it and think not only is there forgiveness in Christ, but if Jesus didn't rise, death wins. But since Jesus did rise, we now find that death is defeated. Death is absolutely destroyed. And we find ourselves with a hope that we're going to be reunited with all those who know Jesus. That there's this incredible space where we can look upon it and anticipate that. Wow, that's good news, guys. In fact, look at it this way. Go on down to verse 26 there in chapter 15. He goes on and explains it this way. Uh, he says, um, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So there's a bunch of other stuff here in 1 Corinthians 15 that we're not going to take time to dive into, but if you want to, you can look at it later. He's going to talk about uh, just the, 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 the realities of that, the new bodies we're going to get, even a little bit about the timing of that. But let's fast forward to the end where he kind of just shows us where this is going for us. So there near the end of the chapter, verse 50, we'll just pick it up this way. He says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Pausing. We're not going to heaven like this. I, I just want to tell you that heaven's coming, there's a glorious kingdom, and the body you have now is not the body you're taking. Uh, there's a new body that's coming, he says. Behold, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Again, pause. I think that probably makes enough sense just reading it, but just making sure. Many of us, some of us, you know, if, if we die in this life, we're going to come back. You know, we're, if, if we sleep in this life, hey, we're going to come back. But it's not going to happen for everybody. There's a generation. Maybe we are that generation. 
there's a generation that when Jesus comes back, that change is going to happen instantaneously. In a moment, and in twinkling of eye, the trumpet's going to be sound, and, and all those who are still alive, they're going to be changed. The, the physical body is going to be transformed into our new body, and then everybody who's gone ahead, everybody who's a follower of Jesus, and they've fallen asleep, he says, you know, the dead are going to be raised. They're going to, they're going to be raised incorruptible there at the end of verse 52, but we're all going to be changed. Keep reading. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, there's incredible reality that he's inviting us to understand, hey, that there's this space that because of this, death is going to be entirely defeated. Now, we're still waiting that. We're still waiting for that because he says the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. And so here's the thing. You and I still live in a world that if Jesus doesn't come back soon, some of us may face physical death. But he says it's just a temporary thing. You'll just be, a, you know, your physical body will pass, but you'll come back with a new body. And we're looking forward to the day where death will be no more, where, where, we, where no one will ever die again when Jesus comes back and the incredible hope that is found there. Now, process it through this way. I like the way Hebrews gives it to us. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Lots of big thoughts, but Jesus became man that he literally did humble himself, born in a manger, lived a perfect life. He had to take on flesh and blood. Why? So that through death, he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Wow, this is really great news. So through death, he defeats death, and in so he releases us from something releases us through, from the fear of death. Now, I don't know how much you've actually thought about this, but you probably have, whether you've intentionally thought about it or just kind of unintentionally. Death is that great leveler of mankind. There's, there's nothing that so unites us in the sense that, as far as our existence goes that if Jesus doesn't come back, I can just look at you and tell you right now, every one of you, you're going to die. You're going to die. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you have a big family or a small family. It doesn't matter any of those things. You're, you're going to die. And, and somehow that reality gets us so that whether we've strongly thought about it or only kind of just allowed it to work in our background, all of us live in fear of that. All of us live in fear of that. So that, you know, that idea of a fountain of youth, of just trying to be like, hey, you know, uh, you know I, don't, I don't want to get there. He says, that has that gripped our life. But here's what happened. Jesus died. He died so that that fear should no longer be our fear. That we no longer have to look at it because we're like, death lost its power. It's lost its sting. I mean, he defeated him who had the power of death to bring us into this space where we have this anticipation of like, hey, I, I, know, I, I know where this is going for me. And not only does that give me hope for me, it gives me hope for others. So Paul would say it this way in Thessalonians. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, 
lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He says, I, I don't want you to be like those who, who, who don't. If you have somebody in your family or friend and they knew Jesus and they've fallen asleep, again, that's one of those terms that's used for believers who have died. He says, I don't want you to have sorrow as if there's no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is great news. This is great news. Probably good for all of us, but for some of you, it's really good right now. Uh, I know it's been some rough spaces uh, over the last year, over the last couple years. I know that we have a family, even this weekend, who are having to walk through this in our fellowship right now. And there's something about when you have someone who, who they, they died. But he says, if they know Jesus, boy, that's just temporary. It's just temporary because we're going to see him again. When Jesus comes back, he's bringing with him everybody who's been asleep in Jesus. You know, we're going to be reunited. We're going to see each other again. And there is such hope there. There is such hope that death has been defeated. That's what today is about. In fact, in 1 Peter, God says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again or caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. He has caused it to be that space where we could have a hope that's alive, where we have a hope that is a living hope because of what today is. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Jesus is the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. That's a good sentence. Everything is different because he has done so. Everything is different because he has done so. Yet when we think about what today means, it changes everything. It changes literally everything. Everything is different because Jesus rose from the grave. That means when we look at it and say, if Jesus didn't rise, you should feel sorry for Christians. But since he did rise, you should look at anybody who's living their Christian life and you should envy that, desire that. It's probably not the best you know, terminology. I was trying to think of a better way to say it, but let me try to say it this way. If the resurrection is true, and it is, and you could see somebody believing this, having this, you should be able to look at them and say, that is life, the way that life is supposed to be lived. That's life worth living. That's life worth having. That's life worth existing. To see that, to see what this is, it's the one thing that makes life doable. It's the thing that gives us hope in the midst of that. The psalmist would say it this way, Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. I just want you to imagine it right here. It's as if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have believed the gospel and you're born again and you know him, it's as if we could just put a little mark on you and say, I know where you're going and I could watch where your life ends. It's going to go well for you. It's going to go well because there's another side of this. I know where you're going to go. And that future for you, it's a glorious future. That's a, I, I don't know what's going to happen between this moment and eternity, but eternity's coming. And it's as if I could look and say, that's going to go well for you. But it's not going well for anybody else. 
In fact, he goes on in the very next verse and say, but transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked will be cut off. I mean, we're looking at life and death. And it all is centered in this. It's all centered in this reality that today we get a chance to think through what this looks like. And I don't know how clearly I'm making this come forward, but I'm just wanting to tell you this changes everything. The resurrection is everything. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Again, maybe you're part of that stat of people that are outside of this. And maybe you didn't know. I mean, maybe you're like, well, you know, Easter, I guess they're going to talk about Jesus rising, I guess, you know, Easter bunny, Jesus rising, I don't know. Are they the same? They're not the same. Not the same at all. And maybe you're kind of wondering what a big deal is. I'm telling you, it's a hugely big deal that what we celebrate today changes everything. And if you could see it, if God has granted life to you to see it, you would look and say, okay, Christianity, that's, that's a life worth living because the gospel is true. You can have forgiveness in Christ. Death is defeated. That is a life that you should want and desire. And we just want to offer it to you today. And say, if you're on the outside of that, that's what we're hoping is happening. We're hoping you're seeing it and saying, I want that. I want that. If, if, if this is true, and it is true, then you should say, I desire that. And if that's you this morning, we're inviting you to Jesus. We're inviting you to believe upon the one that rose on this day and and brought in life. We're inviting you to a space where that could be yours today. And again, if that's you today, it's a good day to surrender. But let's come back for a moment. So again, if that's you, please come talk to us. We'd love to be a part of it. But I also, again, recognize that most of you this morning, you have believed. You are in that category that, that this is real and that's a part of what you are and have. But maybe again the struggle is wanting to make sure it connects. Because see, it's a little bit dangerous. There's something about gathering together today that um, sometimes it's, you know, hey, it's Easter. Like you knew what we were going to talk about today. And you woke up this morning probably like, okay, we're going to talk about the resurrection because it's like you don't talk about anything else on, on like Easter. That's what we're going to talk about. But somehow it might have just felt like, well, you know, that's, I don't know, plasticky. It feels, it feels a little disconnected from life. It feels like, well, that's, that's one of those great things that pe- pastors talk about. But man, is it, is it really affect me? Does it really affect my life? And I just want to tell you, hey, everything we're trying to tell you is it, it, it more than affects your life. That today speaks life into us in such a way that it should just meet us and, and, and reverberate in us. In fact, that's where it ends in our chapter. So would you go to the end of chapter 15 and notice with me what he says as he's speaking to those of us who believe And as he applies all that we've talked about in this, he says it this way in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, my brothers and sisters in Christ, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He says, here's what this can do for you. This can just, he says, if this is you, then this can speak to your life and it can give you the ability to be steadfast. What does that look like? Hey, just keep going to be able to make it, to be able to make it through, immovable, like nothing could shake you from that. Because here's what we know hey, this is not in vain. This is not just a story. This is not just a, a, a warm fuzzy. Hey, this is real. 
and what you've invested into this is that that could be life to you. And, and maybe, again, you already know that. But again, see, the problem is, again, because you knew we were going to talk about this, and Easter is that thing you talk about, that sometimes you, you, you disconnect it from actually living your life. You disconnect it from actually doing life. And I'm just telling you, this is more than that. It is meant to be that that says, hey, this is life worth living. Because sins are forgiven, hope is there, hey, it's life to you. I invite you to that this morning. So let's end there. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever it is you have open right now. And I just want to give you just a quiet moment before we close in worship. I don't know where it's landed for you this morning. Again, maybe you're one who's outside of this, and this is your moment to pray and ask God to save you. Maybe this is stuff that you fully believe, and you're walking in it. Like Jesus' life and his resurrection, it helps you consistently. But maybe you're in that category where you're in that space of saying, I believe it, but somehow I don't. I guess I don't. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem to change the way I handle my life in weeks. It could, it should. And so I invite you this day to feel it, to feel that everything is different because this day is true. Everything is different for us because Jesus is alive. And just quietly between you and him, maybe that just needs to reverberate into you this morning. Just let it to kind of work that into you. So quiet moment between you and the Lord. Would you talk to him about that? I'll do the same. And we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, I thank you for the gospel that is the good news of salvation. I'm thankful that it works. I pray for those who are here outside of that, that they would hear it. That today is more than a story and a warm fuzzy. It is life-changing reality. God, I ask you to save. Draw these this morning that don't know you. Bring them into life. Abundant life that's in you. God, then I bring my brothers and sisters in Christ before you, and I pray that you would just cause us to feel and know how much this really means. That you would cause us to know how this changes everything. I think about the song that we're getting ready to sing, that because you live, I can face tomorrow. It is because you live that that fear has been defeated. It is your life that brings life into our days. Would you just help it to be so in a fresh way today? Would you cause the reality of this day to just speak to us? But I just thank you that it is reality. I thank you that today we, we serve and celebrate a risen Savior. And I love you and I'm so glad. 
So glad for who you are. May you be exalted here. We ask for help in that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We think about all this is, and again, just wanting to tell you he's alive. He is alive. The, the tomb is empty. Jesus rose. If you have questions, if you're outside of that, we're here. Come up and talk to us afterwards. We would love to just walk you through that. But this morning, if you're his, again, just, just inviting that to mean more to you than it has before. So let's stand. We're going to close and sing that. Long that God meets us in that. But in that, I just want to bless you right now in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.